The advice and opinions expressed by the hosts of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Welcome to Autism Live. I'm Shannon Penrod, and we're webcasting to you live from the Center for Autism and Related Disorders headquarters in Tarzana, California. So thrilled to be here with you. This is going to be an amazing week. And I'll tell you why. Uh, we've got a bunch of guests. We're just going to blow the roof off the guests. I think we're fitting more guests in today than we ever have in one day. Uh, it's going to be a busy revolving door, but it's exciting the range of topics that we're going to cover today. Just want to give you a little heads up that if you haven't already, and if you're anywhere capable of getting to Indianapolis this week, the Autism Society of America is starting their conference. Events are starting to happen today and tomorrow, but you still have time to get your tickets and go there. We're going to be talking with some very exciting guests from that conference live. It takes a village to be able to work that out. Uh, so we're really keeping our fingers crossed that technically everything goes okay in Indianapolis, but we're going to be bringing you some amazing guests today, three guests from that conference, and we've got two additional guests that aren't from the conference. So it's a big day here and be following with us all week long because exciting, exciting, world-changing things that we're going to be talking about. So you know I like to remind you at the start of the show that we're going to be with you for two hours, and during that time, we really want you to interact with us. That's the whole point of this show, for you to interact with us. We had a bunch of questions that came in on the live feature over the weekend. We're going to try to find some time to squeeze in as many of those as we can during the show. But I hope that you will also be participating with us live. So Emily's going to remind you of some of the different ways that you can be watching the show and some of the different ways that you can participate with us. I'll remind you that our homepage is autism-live.com. When you go there, there's lots to do on that page. It's kind of, kind of a busy page. It looks like a desktop. There is a computer screen. Put your cursor on the triangle on the computer screen push it and you can be watching the live show or the most recently recorded live show. Up in the corner is a playlist icon that you can click and be cycling through to see what some of the other shows have been about most recently. And then to the side of that, there are a series of white boxes. If you put your cursor in the box that says your questions and start typing and hit enter, it takes about two minutes, but it will show up here on my screen. There is no cost for that. You don't have to log in. In fact, you're not going to tell anybody your name, your number, uh, your, give them your credit card information. We have no idea where you are in the world. It's completely anonymous, which is great. You can feel like you can ask a question and not have to fill out a bunch of paperwork to be able to do it. Now, on the flip side, though, we don't know who you are or where you are, and sometimes getting you the information that you need 
we'll need that to be able to give you the best information that we have at our disposal. So if you want us to get back to you, you want something specific, do feel free to include your email address or some other way to contact you. We will not share that with the audience at home. I will also caution you that it does take a little while. We process both email, Twitter and Facebook questions as well as the questions here. So I encourage you to uh, be patient with me as we try to answer your questions. You know that it's important to me. You know that at the start of the show, I always remind you that we'll have lots of experts, especially today on the show, but I am not one of them. No, my gig here is just to chair and, and help you to get access to information. I'm a parent who had a child diagnosed with autism at the age of two and a half. He is now 11 and he is just the light of my life. He is an amazing young man. I'm so proud of him and so proud of everything that he's been able to do. And he has been able to do so much. And I always like to remind you that it wasn't because I was lucky that my child got the help that he needed. It was because I got good information. And I know a lot of times we tell ourselves, oh, I can't afford it. I just want you to know that there is a lot of different kinds of help out there that can help you to be able to get the treatments and the interventions that you need for the individuals in your life. Whether you are a parent, teacher, or practitioner, practitioner, excuse me, or you are an individual who's on the autism spectrum, there is a great deal of hope and there there is a great deal of help that's out there and we want to be here to remind you of that and to help you to hook up to those resources that will help you to get to the progress that you want to see in your life because progress is available to all of us whether you're on the spectrum or not so i encourage you participate with us let us know your thoughts feelings in fact we have uh two segments on the show that today that were uh initiated by viewers who said i'd like to see information about this so we do listen to you guys let us know what you need that's what we're here for you know my my gig is that i got to pay it forward i got so much help uh it is incumbent upon me to pay that forward and then if you get help here we want you to pay it forward share what you find here freely it is all free okay having said all of that we like to start every morning with something we fondly refer to as the jargon of the day yes the jargon du jour where we take on one word one phrase one an acronym and we try to make sense of what exactly the experts are talking about when they use these terms. I first we give you a working de or actual definition, then we give you the working definition because sometimes the actual definition is a little too dense and has just more jargon um, and that can make us all crazy and we don't need to be crazy today do we? <laughs> we we need to understand what's going on but we don't need to be crazy okay so i love today's term because it's one of those that every time i would hear it i would go what are you talking about why can't you people just say things so that we can understand them and now i understand it and i even use this term sometime i've gone to the dark side here we go our term is differential reinforcement what? What are we talking about exactly? Okay, our actual definition, oh, and my, my screen has gone dead on me, but Emily's got it. Providing reinforcement only for those responses within a response class that meet a specific criterion along some dimension or dimensions, i.e. frequency, topography, duration, latency, or magnitude, and placing all other responses in the class on extinction. Ladies and gentlemen, this is why we do jargon of the day, because if I heard a doctor say about my child, well, we're going to be um, using differential reinforcement on this particular lesson. And I went, 
okay, I'm not going to interrupt this doctor right now. I'm going to go home and look this up on Google, or I'm going to look this up in my handy dandy old fashioned dictionary. And I saw this, I would want to run around through the streets with a hatchet with my hair on fire and say, I I'm no closer to understanding what this means. So let's take a look at what our working definition is and see if we can't figure out how this applies to our lives. Our working definition for differential reinforcement is being mindful and specific about what you're rewarding so that only responses that meet specific criteria are rewarded and all other responses are ignored. Now, can you tell that a BCBA wrote that for us? What gave it away for you when we go back to the same thing about a specific criteria? So let's see if we can't make some sense of this. We know that all behaviors need some sort of a reward or they won't keep happening, right? Principle number one, in order for us to do anything and do it on a regular basis, it has to be rewarding meaningfully to us in some way. So people who get up and jog every morning, it's because there is something about it that's rewarding to them. And people like me who don't get up and jog every morning, it's because it's not rewarding enough to me, right? And if we wanted to get me to jog every morning, we would have to come up with something that would make it rewarding enough for me to keep doing it, okay? And this is a basic principle on which we can help anyone to learn something and stick with it, or we can prevent somebody from doing something because we're not going to give it a reward, okay? So we want to stop somebody from smoking, we take away the reward for it, okay? Makes sense? But we find that sometimes you have to have some external thing that really doesn't make sense. So if we're trying to teach a child, um, let's say, to make their bed, and um, in the beginning, we've got to make it really, really rewarding or the child's not going to do it. Why would they? Making a bed isn't something that, you, unless you know, you're Martha Stewart, you don't go, yay, I made a bed, <laughs> right? But we, so we want to pair something with it, that some reinforcement with it that's going to make it exciting for this child to make the bed. So in the beginning, um, and, and we're going to, I always talk about moving the goalpost. In the beginning, we're gonna make the goalpost really easy to get to the reinforcement. So we say to the child, all you have to do is smooth the sheets down and that's it and you're gonna get this big reinforcer. Well, we don't want it to stay that forever because if it did, A, the child's never gonna get any better at making the bed and we're not gonna get to a real life circumstance because in my life, when I make the bed, nobody stands here and cheers and nobody offers me a reward for it, right? Um, and we want for our kids and our young adults to get to the point where the reinforcement is naturalistic, that there's no outside reinforcement. That's the goal. So we have to keep moving the goalposts. So in the beginning, maybe when the child is five, we just have them smooth the sheets and they get a reward for it. Maybe they get a token that when they get five tokens, they get video game time. Maybe, you know, they get to pick what they want for breakfast. It has to be meaningful to the child. But over time, we're going to move that goalpost further away and say, you know, not only do you have to smooth the sheets, but now you have to line the pillows up or whatever it is. We're going to keep moving that goalpost further away. That's differential reinforcement. Deciding what you're going to reward and moving that reward further and further away. So once, once they've gotten to the point where they can do one part of it and we've rewarded for that, then we're just going to move it an inch further. And then when they can do that, we're going to move it 
another inch forward so that we're not rewarding when they just smooth the sheets anymore because we want to see progress. So differential reinforcement, moving the reward further away, further away. Think about when a child is learning how to walk, right? And in the beginning, you know, you're right there and you've got your hands out and they take one step and everybody goes, yay, right? But obviously we don't go through our whole lives every time they take one step saying, yay, we just don't, right? So we're already using differential reinforcement. If you think about when you taught your child how to walk, you know, one person stood behind them and another person was, you know, right in front of them and then the person moved a little further away. Now the child had to take two steps and we're cheering. We didn't cheer when they took one step anymore. Now it's two steps. And then the, the person moves another step away. The child takes four steps and we go, yay. And that continues for a while until we fade that out because eventually the child is running around and no one is going, yippee. That's differential reinforcement. So know that this is a term that we use, all, we use uh, to talk about what we're already doing. So make friends with the term differential reinforcement. It's essential because if we don't use differential reinforcement, we won't get to the progress and it's all about the progress, right? Okay, differential reinforcement, now we know what it is. Very cool. All right, we always have a question that we start with in the morning that we like for you guys, especially to answer on Facebook. If you get the opportunity to uh, check in on Facebook, to write something and see what somebody else says, we'll hopefully have some time either today or tomorrow to look at what you guys wrote. And our question today is, what do you know about autism now? Now that you didn't know a year ago? It's a really good question, isn't it? Kind of provocative? Because we're always learning more and more things, but what do you know now that you didn't know a year ago? When I think about that, I've learned so much in the last year about autism. It's kind of amazing. And we've got some guests here today that I, I've already take, taken a look at some of the things they're talking about. And just in this last week, I've learned things about autism that I didn't know from the guests that we're going to have today. So write in and tell us, what, what do you know now that you didn't know a year ago? We're looking forward to seeing what you guys have to answer. All right, we always have a topic of the week that uh, we like to touch base on and, uh, and see what's happening in this topic. And this week, it's Autism Now. What are we talking about in this year, in 2014, in the middle of the year? What is hot now? What are the things to do? Because we can focus on stuff that is 10 years ago. We absolutely can. But every year we're making great strides. And you know, it's that, that old adage about, you know, what, what you give attention to will grow. So I think far better to look at what's happening right now and, and release some of our old tapes about there are no resources there, you know, there's nothing for our teens. There's nothing for our adults with autism. I will be honest with you. There's not enough, right? We can all say that but there's not nothing. There are more and more programs, more and more things that are happening that we can be utilizing. And if we can sit around and say, why isn't there more and work on that? And we should, but we should also be utilizing absolutely everything at our disposal. And I want you to know everything that's at your disposal because it's kind of fascinating. So some of the different guests that we're going to have here on the show today, it's 
crazy. Uh, crazy the amount of talent and the amount of knowledge that we have for you today. We're going to start out with Tarita Davinok, and she's going to be talking to us about travel, inclusion travel, what you can do when you're making your plans to ensure that you get the kind of treatment that you need to have to make it the most successful traveling experience. Uh, she's got a really exciting take on how to do this. Then we've got a guest, Lars Perner, who's going to be with us. He's joining us from that ASA conference. He is the chair of the Persons uh, with Autism Spectrum um, panel that they'll be having, and I can't wait to talk to Lars. He's got some really incredible insight into a variety of different things. We're really excited to talk with him. Then we got Kevin Custer is going to be with us, and he's going to talk about the technology, high technology that is being implemented with autism. They're going to be doing a, an entire expose on it at the conference, and Kevin's going to give us just a little taste of some of the things that they're going to be showing there. If you're at all a techno geek, you're going to love hearing from him that all of that is in this hour and in the second hour Kate Palmer is going to be joining us from Grasp uh, we're excited to have her for the first time on the show and Dina Booth is gonna round out the show for us giving us exciting information about how we prepare our middle school students for a successful middle middle school experience I read through some of her stuff and I got to tell you it's changing because my son's starting sixth grade and even though he's not quite in middle school yet where we are I got some great tips already from Dina. So it's a huge show, back-to-back -back guests. We've got a bunch of questions from you guys. We're going to squeeze in as many of them as we possibly can. So stick with us. We're going to pause for messages and be back after this. Hey guys, welcome back to Smarty. Today we're going to be making homemade glow-in-the-dark bouncy balls. So let's get started. The materials you'll be needing are two mixing bowls, something to stir with, measuring spoons, borax, cornstarch, water, glue, and glow paint and food coloring. So step one, you're going to take one of your measuring bowls and you're going to measure out half a teaspoon of borax, four tablespoons of cornstarch, and four tablespoons of water. Then you're gonna mix that all together. I'm gonna set this aside. In another bowl, I'm gonna mix my glue and my glow-in-the-dark paint and any food coloring I wanna use to make it a special color. two separate bowls with the mixtures in them. Now I'm going to put them together, letting them sit for the next 15 seconds, and then I'll stir them together. It's important that you let them sit for a moment before stirring so they can do their magical thing. Now that the 15 seconds is over, I'm going to stir together the mixture, making sure to stir thoroughly until I can no longer do it anymore. You'll see what I mean in a second. Now that I can no longer stir it, I'm going to start rolling around in my hands to make a ball. And voila, very own homemade fancy ball. Woo! Well, I hope you had fun with this activity today. Until next time, drop down, guys. Can you see me flying by your side?
Hello fellow activists. Today we're going to talk about the 10 steps to empowerment. Step number one, accept and embrace this challenge. By telling you to accept and embrace the challenge, I don't mean you have to love autism. Let's get this straight. I love my child with autism, but I hate that autism stole a big part of his childhood. When I look back at my journey, I realize that I knew in my gut that my son was regressing at the age of two. I had a hard time with acceptance. It didn't come easy for me. My denial may have stemmed from the fact that I didn't want to go through what my own mother had, raising a child with Down syndrome with no support. I even equated my mother's alcoholism with her being stuck at home with a disabled child. I didn't want that life for myself. I couldn't believe that having lived through the experience of having a brother with special needs, I was now faced with having to raise my own child with special needs as well. But being in denial did not make the truth go away. It's when we can accept the truth that it can set us free. Until next time, stay strong and keep the faith. Welcome back to Autism Live. So excited that joining us via Skype, but we have her only sound only because Skype has decided not to be my friend again today, uh, for those of you keeping track. Uh, but we'll see if we can't correct that after the first segment. But I, I don't want to prolong anymore because this is a really exciting guest. Tarita Davinock is joining us, and she is the owner and the great brilliant mind behind Tarita's Travel Connections. And Tarita, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. We're delighted to have you. And, and I mentioned uh, at the top of the show that we were going to be talking with you specifically about inclusion travel. And I'm, I'm looking at your website right now, and I love your tagline. It's because travel should be inclusive, not exclusive. Exactly. And for, for those of us who have special needs and who have family members with special needs, this really is something that hits very close to home. The whole idea of traveling um, can be overwhelming if you have special needs, correct? Correct, very much so. But you've come up with some solutions to how to, uh, to really make this much easier. But I wanna start to talk about why, why this was a passion of yours, Tarita. Okay, well, when I was 29, I was diagnosed with MS. And my previous, before travel, I was a social worker. I worked with special needs, children, autism, Asperger's, Tourette's, etc. So then when I was diagnosed with MS and they said, find a job that's not quite as stressful, I fell into the career of travel. And I'm passionate about travel. The best way to, to really understand about the world is to see it and smell it and taste it. So I fell into it. And for 15 years, I was engaging in selling travel and sending people to all these wonderful places. But I would see things happening for the disabled, as I call a traveler, where they were left on ships. They were, you know, in all-inclusive resorts and could not access the bathroom because the door wasn't wide enough. Or children that were not considered, not looked after. And it's, it became a real 
frustration for me because I really did see a need that it's not just the able-bodied, but it's also the people that need a little bit of tweaking for their holiday as well as families that have autism. We love someone with, them with autism. My niece is autistic and I see my sister-in-law over the years struggling, trying to think of where to go, what to do that wasn't going to cause our niece a great amount of stress or the family a lot of stress. So that's how I became, it's something that I, I'm passionate about. Well, I think it's wonderful whenever people are able to take their talents and put them together. So here, here you are, somebody who has a great deal of understanding about travel and a great deal of understanding on both sides, working with individuals who have special needs and then having some concerns for yourself when you're traveling. You're coming at it from a firsthand perspective to put all those things together and to serve our community at large. I think it's a wonderful, wonderful mission that you have. And Davida, I'm, I want you to tell people how they can get in touch with you if they want to plan travel and have you helping them to create a, an experience that is infinitely more rewarding, how can they get in touch with you? Where should they go? They can call my toll-free number, which is 1-888-993-9295. They can also visit my website, which is treatistravelconnections.com. And the best way is for us to have a chat so I can figure out exactly what the needs are. And then to tailor a vacation for the family, whether it be a cruise or Disneyland, Disney World, all-inclusive, whatever the case is, we can find somebody that is going to work and uh, serve the family really well. Okay, we're going to take a short break. We're going to see if we can reconnect with uh, Tarita so that we can actually see her. And then we're going to ask her to give us a couple of tips that she's learned over the years about things that can really make a specific difference when we're traveling. So stick with us. We're going to be right back after these messages. Hi, this is Lee Sackerman, Tacafax. One of the questions we hear all the time, how do I know if a treatment is working? If my child has a negative response or, um, or looks like a negative response? Well, there's two things you should look for. All medical interventions need to have clear evaluation guidelines with your physician. You should talk to your doctor ahead of time. If there's a negative response, should you stop? Or does the negative response mean that treatment's working? Let me give you a really solid example. Almost every child um, living with autism at one point in time will have a, a yeast overgrowth. And yeast is extremely common in children with gut and gastrointestinal issues. And when you're not pooping on a regular basis, yeast and other bacteria tend to build up in your gut. Once you treat yeast, often you will have a negative response. What's really important for families to understand in those clear evaluation guidelines with your doctor, they should tell you, hey, your kid may be cranky for a few days. Uh, following the treatments. There are different things you can do to work with your doctor to lessen that cranky period. But the bottom line is if you don't have clear evaluation guidelines with your physician, you don't know if that treatment is a stop. You have a negative response, stop, which that should be clear with your doctor, versus a negative response of that means the treatment's working. So my favorite thing when we talk to families that are about to go through yeast treatments with their kid after extensive evaluation in labs is your kid's gonna be a jerk, but oh my God, it's gonna be great in a few days followed by beautiful behavior. So now you know. We'll be back with another Talk of Fact real soon. Take care. 
Welcome back to Autism Live. We have with us right now on the Skype sound only, uh, Tarita Davinock is with us. She is from Tarita's Travel Connections. She's talking to us about inclusive travel and about really being mindful when you're planning a trip and maybe working with someone like Tarita to help you to plan a trip so that you can enjoy all the things that are available to you. And Tarita, we just think that your mission to create inclusive travel is, is a fascinating one. We promised that we would come back and talk about some tips. So if a family is traveling with an individual on the autism spectrum, what are some things that you've learned over the years that, put, and we know that there's not one size fits all, but what are some tips that you've learned that could help a family? I think what you need to do, first of all, is consider the destination. Uh, depending on your child, if your child has um, sensory issues and um, you may not want to go to an all-inclusive if your child doesn't do well in big crowds, then Disneyland, Disney World is probably not going to be the best bet. So what we need to do, first of all, is take a look at the needs of the child, the needs of the family. And then the best thing to do is to make sure that your travel agent, if you already have one, she can help you to plan. Biggest key when you're traveling with someone that you love with autism is planning. You have to plan and work up to the actual date of travel. And that means looking at videos and then looking at picture books, creating your picture storybook from the very beginning of the talk of where you want to visit so that you're preparing your child so they're all aware of exactly what it is. If they are going to have uh, some time on the beach, get some sand, let them feel the sand, let them smell it, let them really immerse themselves in exactly what trip is going to be. So uh, what I do actually is I will help plan, not just put the trip together, but put the needs together. So what, I'm gonna, what I would do is send off YouTube videos that you can show and make it a family night, pop some popcorn, look at this YouTube video, and your child can see exactly where they're going to go. If there's some flying involved, the airlines are getting a lot better with having an autism awareness day. So all you have to do is ask your travel agent to set up, if the airline says, well, we don't really have that in place yet, poppycock, tell your travel agent to tell them, look, this is the need. We need to walk our child through the process of uh, boarding an airplane, et cetera, et cetera. And you know what, they will create something that's going to work. It is imperative that you plan ahead and you slowly work up to the day. So you're creating this wonderful story, you're creating excitement. And what I do actually is I send to the child, I'll send them a personal little note that is just addressed to them, talking about the trip and where they're going to go. And I'll send pictures, I'll send tactile things, whatever's necessary for the child because it is, it's like MS, everybody is different. Every child with autism is different and has a different need. So planning ahead is the biggest key. You can't, last minute travel deals, depending on your child, they may work. They also may not work yeah. because you need that planning time. You have to plan ahead. And then we start to do things like having your activity bag all set up. So if you have a road trip, have an activity bag. 
where there are toys, there are crayons, books, whatever it is that, that and you would, you know, know your best what your child needs. Well, I so love we, this, Tarita. This is all good advice, and especially putting together those visual. We talk about visual schedules all the time and how really beneficial they are to people to understand what's happening to them. And I, and I love this idea of practicing at the airport. I remember the first time I flew after um, they started having, you have to take off your shoes and put everything in the bin, and I was overwhelmed. You're in a line full of people, they're all pushing you, they are all acting as though they understand what needs to happen, and people are shouting things, but there are no visual things to explain to you what's happening. And I remember that first time saying to everybody, stop, I don't, I haven't done this before. Somebody explain to me what's happening. Imagine a child who's got sensory issues in the midst of all that, how overwhelming it would be to them if they didn't know what was happening. So I love this idea of rehearsal. Absolutely, absolutely. And I, Disneyland and Disney World are sort of the, the epitome of family travels is taking them to see Mickey and Minnie, etc. But we, it still can be done. Unfortunately, Disney has changed the policy where uh, regarding passes so that you don't have to do the lineup to get in to see something. So it is something that really now has to be tweaked and something that is of great concern to my, myself are the changes that um, Disney World and Disneyland have made as far as the autism. The yes, autism. and we've, we've covered that uh, on the show at length, but I will tell you that recently we took my son to Legoland, and in the past, Legoland had a policy that was very similar to what the new Disneyland policy is. And what's very interesting to me is that Legoland has changed their policy now to something that is very similar to the old Disney Pass. We right. had such a wonderful experience at Legoland that I would be willing to go back many more times and I I would I would let you know Tarita to tell all your autism families that if they want that level of experience where they're going to be treated and their needs are really going to be looked after Legoland is doing it so I have heard that. Uh, yay to Legoland. But, Tarita, we thank you so much. We want to remind everybody again to visit your website, uh, taritastravelconnections.com, and to reach out to you if they want some help planning a vacation, because clearly you've got some really good ideas. And I want to thank you personally for all that you're doing for everyone to make it possible for them to travel. Well, thank you very much. It's a blessing. I am happy to share the world because it's beautiful and it needs to be seen. I agree with you wholeheartedly. Thank you so much for being with us today and we look forward to having you back on the show on a time when we can get uh, a picture of your lovely face with it as well. <laughs> Sounds great. All right. Thank you so much, Tarita. Thanks, Shannon. Travel is a wonderful thing, and when you think about as an autism family, sometimes you feel left out of things. Here is an example of a way that all the things that you can do instead of the things that you can't. And if it requires more planning and if it requires getting some assistance, that's okay, right? That's doable. So again, TaritasTravelConnections.com for inclusion travel. We absolutely love it. All right, we're going to take a break. Stick with us. We'll be right back. you find out you're having a boy you always think like oh he's gonna play football he's gonna do this and that and then when he's diagnosed all those things get washed away 
It's like that peace that's always in the back of your mind, you know, where is he, what is he doing, is he safe? We really didn't know what we were dealing with. I wish that they could have directed me a little bit more and provided me some information. I was a young mom. I didn't know what it was like to raise a boy despite a boy with autism. Hundreds of thousands of families are not getting the help they need for their children with autism all around the country. ACT Today is determined to bridge the gap. These families really have to go through a lot to get a grant. The application process isn't easy. The records, the diagnosis proof, they're really battling for their kids. So when we can give them a grant, it is so wonderful to see that they succeed in getting that help for their children. Our founder, Dr. Doreen Grandpichet, is an amazing woman, and she is one of the world's foremost authority on behavior of children with autism. She's extremely knowledgeable, and she oversees every single grant we give. She is part of that process. People may think of autism care and treatment as simply schooling or therapy, but you know, we provide important safety supports, things like fencing, for example. The whole family's living in fear of that child running out into traffic. I recently delivered an iPad to a little boy with some of the apps that are out there for children with autism. Miracles happen. I got the iPad from ACT. From ACT, What yeah. did it say? Can you repeat that, Dustin? I got the iPad from that. We have helped so many military families. And when I think of these brave families that are fighting two battles, one to protect our country and one for the right treatment and care for their children, it, it breaks my heart. And I think we have to do more as a nation to help them. There's not a day that doesn't go by that we don't think about it. Some people say, oh, he's normal. You don't see the battles that I see every single day. My husband does have to deploy, and when they get on that bus, that might be the last time that my kids ever see them. So I called, and then they informed me that he had received the grant, which was like a blessing from above. I was just like speechless. I just started to cry because, you know, without it, we would, we would have been lost. The ACT grant was a total miracle, and without that, they wouldn't be able to receive a service dog, so we're so appreciative of what they've done for us as a family. Recently, ACT Today funded a program for military children with autism in San Diego, the Inclusion Films program, which is run by Joey Travolta, and teaches uh, kids on the autism spectrum literal filmmaking skills. They learn how to make a movie. Everybody? There you go, got it. Okay. Everything that goes into the process of making a film goes into everyday life. So they're learning life skills, they're learning to collaborate. It was really nice to know how much they were enjoying this camp. And they're with people who are supporting them and are making them feel great about themselves and their differences and their similarities. And I get two kids that are working together and apart and together and apart. So it's an interrelationship as well as a camp and a learning experience. It's so fulfilling when I get letters. One stands out for me, a, a boy who was 14 with Asperger's, and we gave him a grant to go to a drama camp. He wrote to us and said, Dear Act Today, thank you for letting me belong for the first time in my life. These kids are remarkable. You know, we underestimate them. They're so knowledgeable, they're so capable, and we can change the life of a family, which means changing the life of a community.
Welcome back to Autism Live. We're going to be joined by Lars Perner in just a couple of minutes, but I wanted to take just a second to address some of the questions that you guys wrote in over the weekend. Uh, a question came in about social stories because we were talking with Megan White last week about the concept of using stories to teach something. And, and we know there is a whole brand name called Social Stories. Um, Megan has taken that idea and taken it a little bit further and put together, because Social Stories by the the actual definition of the brand social stories is very specific uh one for each child so you write a story specifically for the child and you get together with a team of people and you write the story specifically about what it is that you want to teach the child uh, what megan was talking about she took the idea of social rules that we wanted to teach used aba techniques of uh, having an antecedent a behavior and a consequence um, and put together a series of stories about a wide variety of things that happen during the day uh, that could be a little bit more generic. Now, you could take them and tailor them to an individual child, but that you could use these widely with a group of people without having to rewrite all of them. So uh, somebody wants to know, where can I buy social stories and do they have one on cleaning your bedroom? And Megan did have one on cleaning her bedroom, and she's currently working with a publisher right now. Uh, if you'll send me an email. What I'll do is I'll hook you up with Megan and see if she would be willing to share that one story with you. I can't, I can't say that she will. I can't say that she won't. But in the meantime, you can also write one for yourself for the individual that you want to have clean the bedroom. Um, and there are a lot of information. Carol Gray is the one who originally started the concept of the social story. And she's got an extensive website. You can uh, Google Carol Gray and social stories and you'll find a great deal of information and you can tailor them for yourself. Uh, a very fascinating process and it can be very effective at creating an environment where there's learning. If you think about about it, we've always used fairy tales and other things to teach children. Way back, Grimm's uh, fairy tales. Uh, as I said, Homer came up. I, Homer's probably the first storyteller that was using a story to create uh, a lesson uh, and to talk about social issues and help people to understand what's happening. So it's not a new concept, uh, but it can be very effective at teaching someone. Uh, okay, so somebody else wants to know what techniques can be implemented to encourage teens with autism to follow through with their treatment plan. And we want to go back to that principal one that we were talking about this morning, that in order for anybody to engage in any behavior, it has got to be rewarding for them. So it's great when we sit down and we come up with a whole treatment plan and we say it's important for this teen to do X, Y, and Z, and they have to make sure that they do this, and then they have to follow through with that, right? Because we know that's what needs to happen. But the reality is that's not going to happen unless the rewards override all of the things that prevent that person from wanting to do that. This is true for all of us. It isn't just true for teenagers and it isn't just true for individuals who are on the spectrum, but it is, it happens to be true for everyone. So that includes teenagers who are on the spectrum. So think about what is their currency? What is the thing that they want the most? What are they always asking you for? What do they want? It might be more independence. It might be, um, you know, having access 
access to someone or something like the computer? Um, you know, what is it that is their currency and then work backwards from there and, and figure out what will be meaningful to them. You don't want to paint yourself in a corner where if you say, okay, so if you engage in your treatment plan for today, then you get to have the computer that you've been wanting to have, right? Because then they're going to get the computer now that they have what they want and, you know, forget it. There goes the treatment plan. So you got to figure out how can I make this work and make this work on a consistent basis. Um, we talk all the time about reward systems and token economies. We're all functioning on a token economy. You go to work and you get a paycheck, right? And you don't get it every day and they don't give it to you in actual goods. Usually they give it to you in money, which you switch for goods. So think about what is their paycheck that they're going to get. And it may be that you have to parse it down into small things. So here's part A of your treatment plan that you take this medication at this time. And when you do this, you get a certain number of points and you know, you got to figure out when does the reward come? Because yeah, that differential reinforcement we were talking about, and maybe that you have to start giving the reward every hour and then move it to every day and then move it to every two days and then move it to every week to every month. But you've got to make it rewarding. That's the key to everything. Okay, we are going to take a break. We're going to be joined by Lars Perner. Stick with us. What is autism? 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 I've been asking myself that for a very, very long time. Um, let me think about that one. <laughs> um, trying to, uh, just, um... Jeez, let me think. <laughs> Oh man, that's a great one. Yes. Uh, autism, uh, uh... Autism is a neurological disorder that affects many of our kids in different ways. It's a learning disability that affects the cognitive functions of the brain. A lot of people have the misconception that it's a disability and it's really not. I look at it as like a special gift. When one person thinks differently from another. It's an opportunity for everyone to learn to understand someone that's a little different than them. Autism is the ability to educate. They're given so much talent in different areas. To me, autism means a chance to be with and be around people you really care about. Autism is beautiful. It's a way of seeing the world differently. It's always unique, totally intelligent, and sometimes mysterious. Happiness that, that, that comes out of my um, son's um, hard work. It's a movement. Unpredictable. That's right. Awesome. Love. The field I want to work in. Laughter, fun. Joy. Autism is beautiful to me. I want you to remember these three words. There is hope. Welcome back to Autism Live. We're so thrilled. We have joining us via Skype. Again, sound only, because Skype is not my friend. Um, but we're thrilled that we have sound, so I shouldn't dis Skype too much. Lars Perner is joining us. He is an assistant professor of clinical marketing at the Marshall School of Business at the University of Southern California. However, he is joining us live from Indianapolis, where he is at the Autism Society of America's conference. Lars is uh, currently the chair of the panel of persons on the spectrum of autism and he serves as an advisor to the autism society so first of all Lars welcome to autism live thanks for having me so thrilled to have you here talk to us a little bit about what the panel of persons on the spectrum of autism is and what it's going to be doing at the conference 
well, we uh, normally use the abbreviation, the PSA, it rolls off the tongue a little bit easier. Uh, so basically, we're advisors to the Autism Society with different people uh, on the spectrum so we can relate to our own experiences, what we've gone through in life and uh, the experiences we've had. One of the things, as you know, with autism is that we've got people who are so different from each other, so you need multiple different voices uh, in order to understand the implications of different policies for the autism spectrum. So uh, we, we advise the board and other groups uh, sometimes we review uh, print material and other material to go out and uh, generally try to help where we can. And this is so essential because, you know, as a parent of a child who's on the autism spectrum, we talk a lot about trying to teach our kids perspective taking. And yet I find a lot, Lars, that I'm lacking in perspective taking. And I know other parents that have said this as well, that what we want more than anything else is to know what it's like to be in our children's heads. But sometimes we can't do that. And by being able to talk to adults who are on the spectrum and hear their perspectives, it enriches all of us. Don't you agree? Yes, I think that's uh, very much the case. There are a lot of things, again, that we take for granted about ourselves, whether on the spectrum or not. It's very difficult sometimes to understand how other people are different. Those of us on the spectrum have learned uh, over the years uh, very often how uh, our experience may be different from that of others. It's a lot harder now if you have to as uh, so, uh, being in the general population, suddenly having to understand what people on the spectrum feel. Yeah. And so which day are you going to be doing the panel and you'll have a conversation with everybody at the conference? Which day is that happening? Well, actually, what we're doing this year is that we're having lunch groups. So rather than having a, a regular panel session, we're going to have uh, two days at lunch. I believe it's uh, both Wednesday and Thursday. Uh, and it's sort of an open agenda so people can come in and sit with the uh, people uh, on both the panel of uh, PSA and the panel of professional advisors. So we'll have some list of the different specialties that, that we feel comfortable with. So it will be more an individual type of question and answer this time around. It's a new thing we're trying this year. In, in the past, we've had sessions where uh, the whole panel would sit in front of an audience and uh, usually be, uh, talk about a particular topic. How exciting is this, though? I mean, as a parent, uh, you know, to be able to meet with different people of different uh, backgrounds and different areas of interest and ask them questions, I just think it's a great, great opportunity. And, and Lars, I'm sure that you've had a lot of parents come up to you and ask you questions. What do they usually want to know from you? Well, a lot of different uh, things that come up. Sometimes it may be an issue about particular problems or it may be a question about what, what may be the future for my uh, child be like. Uh, you know, uh, one of the things, uh, almost always, uh, sensory issues that come up, uh, and, and you know often if you can deal with sensory problems, those are sometimes difficult to deal with, but often you can fairly easily uh, you know, take some of the pressure off by uh, leaving some things. For example, I had once a, a father who was uh, concerned his son didn't like to get new clothes, and I told him, well, you may want to, when he gets new clothes, you may want to wash the clothes 15 times before he gets it. 
uh, you know, when you get uh, clothes off the shelf, it may have all sorts of nasty chemicals on it that some of us can feel. Uh, it may also be a little rough, but this was, again, a family way. Economically, it wouldn't be a problem to wash 15 times. But that's an example of, you know, something, a problem that a parent may come with and, and uh, you know, how we may be able to give some advice on, on those things. Uh, you know, though, also, I spoke once to a parent who uh, whose uh, son didn't like to, to shower, and I suggested they might think about taking baths instead. That can sometimes be this uh, invasive for the body. I, all of these things are—it's it's important information to be able to share. And and uh, Lars, you are um, a, a professor, but you're somebody who got a diagnosis of—correct uh, me if I'm wrong—you got an Asperger diagnosis, and you got it at a rather late age. Am I right? Yes, I was 31 when I got the diagnosis, and uh, this was, you know, back when uh, the term wasn't very well known. Uh, so uh, it suddenly started uh, having a lot of things make sense to me. I'm very fortunate, by the way, being one of those aspects where I actually get paid for talking about my special interests in great detail. Well, and some other time I want to have you back on the show just to talk about clinical marketing because it looks like something that we all need. But I wanted to take it just a minute before we have to say goodbye to you to talk about your book, Scholars with Autism. This is a book that we all need to have. Well, so this was a book uh, that had actually been in the planning with several other people when I was brought in along the line, one of the people who had initially agreed to edit found out he couldn't do this. So this is a case where we have people who either ended up in academic professions or otherwise uh, got a fair amount of education and were using this, such as, for example, a social worker. And uh, it, it, we talk about our lives, uh, emphasizing particularly the times when we were in elementary and, and high school primarily the early years, uh, so you get a feeling for some of the challenges and some of the opportunities uh, that we faced. And again, you know, recognizing that everybody is different, uh, it's very nice to have a collection of several different uh, perspectives here. And we struggled with different types of problems. Uh, some things were common among us, some of us were very different. But uh, this is something, again, that a parent might read. And, uh, you know, often you find that there are some people who are very good models uh, of a particular person. So you may read an account of one person, and that person may have a, a lot of similarities with your child. Uh, so you know that this is where you might be able to learn a lot from vicarious experience and the things we picked up over the years. Uh, and that's why it's so helpful to have chapters by a lot of people, by chapters, for example, by Leanne Holiday, Willie and Temple Grandin, Dina Gassner, Stephen Shaw, uh, Valerie Paradis, and a number of other uh, contributors. Yeah, it's uh, really remarkable. And this book, Scholars with Autism, it's available on Amazon, correct? Yes, it's available on Amazon. Uh, and it's also available from the publisher, uh, but they definitely have it on Amazon. They also have it uh, at conferences where future horizons, the future horizons booths. Well, I, I really wish that we were there at the conference with you. It sounds incredible. For people who are going to the conference, we want to encourage them on Wednesday and Thursday to go to that lunch meeting and have an opportunity to speak with Lars and with other people on the panel of persons on the spectrum of autism. Lars, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. Have a wonderful conference. Yes, and you too. Have a great, great, great time. All right. Take care. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to be joined by Kevin Custer, and we're going to be talking about technology and how autism and technology are coming together and the wonderful presentation that he's going to be doing at the ASA conference this week. Stick with us. Hi. Welcome to 
Camp Discovery, a free-to-play suite of fun, interactive learning games for kids two and up, designed by experts in autism. Camp Discovery will open your early learner to a world of new skills, shapes, numbers, colors, locations, emotions, and more. Let's get started. Please choose a level. Objects. First, Camp Discovery's intelligent preference assessment determines your child's preferred reward for choosing correctly. Okay, got it. Let's play. Camp Discovery creates a motivating learning environment for your child by minimizing incorrect responses and maximizing successful ones. Find the shoes. Respond correctly and your child is rewarded with their favorite animations. You did it. Respond incorrectly and our unique prompting system guides your child to the correct answer by making it the largest choice. That's not it. Try again. Way to go. Continue to answer correctly and the size gradually reduces until the child makes the correct choice independently. You win! Success! Rewards motivate learning. Complete a round and your child is rewarded with a fun mini-game. Track your child's progress with easy-to-read graphs. Multiple settings options allow you to customize Camp Discovery to your child's unique needs. All this in one single app, the Camp Discovery app, available for free on iTunes, Google Play, and Amazon Store. Welcome back to Autism Live. We're continuing on with our cavalcade of guests and joining us via Skype right now, and I think we actually have picture this time, picture and sound, Kevin Custer is joining us. And Kevin, we're gonna talk with him a little bit later about some of the things that he's doing outside the Autism Society of America conference, but we're gonna start, welcome first of all, Kevin. We can see you, it's exciting. That's great. I'm really happy to be here. Thank you. <laughs> Thrilled to have you here. But um, we've been talking a little bit about the fact that you're going to be doing a presentation at the conference this week in Indianapolis uh, that has to do with technology. So tell us, for those of us who aren't able to be there, what are we missing? Well, I'd, I'd like to say I'm doing the presentation. I'm fortunate enough to actually uh, to work with several companies that are doing the presentations. We have a, a room set up all day Thursday. Um, where we have four different companies that have brought in what they think is uh, pretty innovative products, and we think so too, um, from all across the country, specifically aligned for people um, on the spectrum and how to uh, and what they might need in their daily lives. And so it's very exciting. It's not a, an exhibit hall where you go in and look at something. This is a demonstration room. You're going to go in. You're going to do, touch, feel, participate with. Um, it's it's pretty exciting, the, the, the room that will be there. I'm happy to tell you real quickly what the four companies are. Oh, I would love that. I was going to say, can you give us just a hint? Sure. sure. So um, one of the companies is Philips Electric, which is they make all the light bulbs in the world. Or at least they'd be happy that I said that that way. <laughs> but uh, they have a product that's made for um, people who have a visual disability, and it allows them actually for the first time in their life really to see people to be able to communicate cognitively with people who have a visual dis uh, any type of visual disorder. So it's pretty exciting. Uh, it's called a light aid. Um, in addition to that, there's a company uh, that's bringing a product called Activate. Yale and NIH put together several years of research. And uh, I'm, I'm allowed to say it, not being a doctor, but I'm allowed to say that they've kind of figured out this attention deficit issue. And they build new neural growth endings in kids using a combination of computer activities, um, computer simulations, and physical exercise. Um, they've tested it with thousands of kids, and they've actually found ability to increase working memory in kids. And so they'll, they'll be there for parents to give it a try. Um, one of our 
Um, companies that's there is a wearable therapy um, device. It's called SnugVest. People are familiar. I think a lot of your viewers are probably familiar with weighted vests and the types of things that, that you could, you know, the kids want to climb up in beanbag chairs or under the couch cushions, things like that. This is an inflatable vest technology that kids are able to wear. It's very stylish. It's won several design awards. And it'll be a chance for people to, to put it on. And it is a tremendous anxiety reliever. Uh, but it includes a hood and things like that. And then um, one of the companies is probably the most cutting edge one that we have coming. Uh, it's called Robots for Autism. And it is a humanoid robot that's about two feet tall. His name's Milo. And it's going to be a chance for people to actually interact with him. And he's very much a bridge between kids that are used to doing stuff online or with computer games in real life. Milo looks very humanoid. He can actually has high-definition cameras in his eyes, and he can actually see the emotions that kids have and have a conversation with them through his artificial intelligence. It's remarkable technology that'll be there. Now, I don't know where... But my son has seen a video of Milo somewhere, and it is the single most exciting thing to him in the world. Uh, if I had known that Milo was going to be there, if, I, if my child knows that Milo is going to be there and he finds out that I could have been there, I, my name is going to be Mud. Great. <laughs> Because he's pretty fascinating. I've seen a little, it must have been on YouTube or somewhere that I saw a snippet of him. He's pretty fascinating. Uh, so will people at the conference be able to interact with Milo? That's, is that this is a demonstration room. So it's a sit down, participate, do, put your hands on and actually try these things out. See what, see what you think about them. Okay. And a, a challenge, a challenge we've always seen is that, you know, especially with parents, you know, they don't know if something's going to work for their 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 family member or not. And this is a chance really to sit down and, and try it. This is so exciting, this, in, this entire demonstration. So tell us again which day it is. So it's on Thursday from 10, from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. It'll be at the conference there. Um, it's in room 211, but you'll, you'll see it. It's just off the registration room. This is the Autism Society's first time trying a room like this um, to really let people get in and try it. It's different than the exhibit hall. There's no sales pressure or anything else like that. Sorry about the noise That's there. okay. Um, but uh, um, it's really a chance for people to try it and see what it's, see what it's like. Remarkable. Sounds like a whole bunch of fun. And we're all going to agree not to tell my son. Okay. That, <laughs> so, I'll, I'll put the word out. Okay. We're, we're keeping a lid on that. Uh, it's all, all in the down low. All right. Really remarkable. So again, on Thursday, if you're going to the conference and if you haven't made up your mind, boy, this should be a mind maker up for you. Make sure that you get there to see that. Now, as if all of this wasn't enough. Kevin's got some other really exciting stuff. I'm going to ask him to stay with us just a little bit longer. We're going to take a short break, come back and talk with him about what else he is doing in the field of autism because it's pretty impressive. Stick with us. The Institute for Behavioral Training provides courses in applied behavior analysis for the treatment of autism. Access IBTE learning videos on the move and learn at your own pace. IBTE Learning makes any location your classroom on the go. So our objectives for today are to really learn what is autism and how is it diagnosed. Get professional guidance with IBT face-to-face -face training. IBT face-to-face -face training courses prepare you to effectively implement ABA-based interventions. Choose between small group and one-to-one -one instruction. 
Earn BCBA supervision hours via one-to-one -one video conferencing. So I had a chance to review your BIP today. You know what? It looked really good. You did a good job with it. IBT, continuing education courses. Earn credit through webinars, conferences, article reviews, and e-learning videos. You can learn more at ibehavioraltraining.com. IBT, 360 degrees of ABA training. Welcome back to Autism Live. We are here right now with Kevin Custer. He's joining us live from Indianapolis, where he is getting ready for the Autism Society of America conference. We just talked with him about the presentation, the, the room that they're making available, where they're showcasing some really incredible technology. And I asked Kevin to stick with us to talk to us a little bit about what he is doing outside of the Autism Society of America, which is the ARC Capital Development. So I, I'm going to let you explain to our viewers what that is, Kevin. That's that's great. So th thanks. So, uh, in addition to being on the, the national board, I serve on the Colorado board. Um, but for um, I would call it a day job, even though it's, the board seems to take a lot of the daytime. But uh, <laughs> um, I'm a founding partner of a venture capital firm, an early stage venture capital firm, and we invest in and help operate companies in the education and the disability space. And so what that means is we're out looking for the people who have a really good idea that they think a lot of people are going to want. Um, it's going to make a difference in a lot of people's lives. So we're, we're what's known as a um, dual bottom line investment firm, which means we look for the investments that are going to do right for people and do right for a lot of people. And then that we'd like to be able to see scale up and perhaps make money. Uh, and so that's how we invest. We don't have limited partners. Um, it's you've heard of venture capital and how they go in and maybe horrible things they might do to companies. When we invest, we invest our own money. So when we say we write a check, I have one business partner and we personally write checks, put them into the companies and get in to help them grow and bring great products um, to the marketplace. And that's, that's what we really care about is we find the innovative technology. And a lot of times we see great ideas, but, but there's dozens of people who know about it. And if we can take a great idea and bring it out um, to do things like the demonstration room or things like that, where we can get in front of people, um, the company has a chance to, to succeed and fulfill its mission. And uh, hopefully there's an economic return involved um, in the process. But that's, that's what we do. So we've made, um, in the last two or three years, we've invested a little over $5 million in six different companies um, around the space and the special needs and autism space. Over the last 10 years, we've made over 15 investments in different companies that sell things to schools. So we do a lot with schools too. Remarkable. And so would I be overstating, understating it to say you're like Shark Tank for special <laughs> needs and education companies? That, that, that would be okay. I would, <laughs> I, I, well, the only reason we're hesitant about it is <laughs> because if you were one of our CEOs who worked with us, they might say that the guys on Shark Tank are much nicer. Oh, okay. Well, I, I love that because you have to be tough to really be able to get information out there and you got to be tough to make sure that it can keep going. Well, and, and, and we got it. There's a lot that goes into it. We see so many great ideas. We will see three to five ideas a week of people who have say, I have this great idea. Here's the company that I'm started or here these people are using it. And there's a big jump between, you know, I've got a, got several dozen people who have bought this from me. Um, up to getting, you know, a million people to buy it. And so there's a, there's a lot of discipline and stuff that has to go in there. And fortunately, our 
my background, my partner and I, we have been the founders between us of nine different companies. We've had the privilege of a couple of them going public. And so uh, we have products in about half the schools in the United States. And any given day, we have about 10 million kids online around the U.S. and uh, Canada using those products. So we kind of know what it takes to get get people's ideas out to the marketplace. Well, I got to say, Kevin, you're an amazing person. This is such crucial and important work to do because we, we know that there are good ideas that are out there, but they don't always survive. And so the fact that you're there looking specifically at these things and helping people get them to us, I just have to salute you and say thank you for doing this. Thank you for being something that really has the ability to and has already changed our lives for the better we appreciate you so much well we we appreciate that too we know a lot of times when when you're um when when a family member is you know at a loss a lot of times the technology or something that can can actually help break through and make a difference for somebody to have a great quality of life we want to make sure that that opportunity is there for them to to go to the next level and and like the autism society mission you know let people live a, f a fulfilling and great life and that's what we're hoping to hope hoping to do absolutely and and but just on a very real basis you know it takes money and it takes know-how to get there and the fact that you are somebody who knows how to do that thank you thank you for being in our space and for for being that person you're fulfilling a huge need that's a, a huge service to all of us Thanks. and so if people want more information about arc capital development where should they go um, well, two things. You can just Google our capital development or you can go to our website, which is www.arccd.com. Um, so it's like arccd.com. And uh, they can learn more about what our firm does and what we do and communicate with us and things like that that, uh, that way. Spectacular. All right. We are we're going to thank you so much and I hope that you get a great turnout on Thursday for this remarkable room that you're setting up with so much technology that has the ability to change lives. Uh, but we hope to have you back on the show and hear more things about that you're investing in. That would be great. We'd love to uh, love to share them with you. Okay. Thank you so much, Kevin Custer. We're going to take a break now and go to the A word. Um, but then when we come back, we're going to be joined by a fabulous guest. Kate Palmer from Gra Grasp is going to be with us. But first, check out the A word, an ongoing documentary following a little boy who was diagnosed with autism at the age of two. And we watch him go through his early intensive behavioral intervention. This is the A.
that your cool new trick? Hey, Jack Riley, who is that? It's your chair. Yeah. <laughs> Who's this? Who's this? It's Daddy. Yeah. His mom was saying he was getting so excited that he's like discovering new, um, like phonetic sounds on his own, like with things that he knows, like dinosaur, pancake. Hey, what's this one? Duh, duh. Good job. What about ba ba? Good job. the bike but doesn't play with it. Since he is no longer being compliant with Jessica, they leave, which begins a tantrum. to ignore the tantrum because giving him attention may prolong the tantrum and make it worse. Every time we asked him to do anything, he sat down. And sort of, uh, not, not violent is the wrong word, but roughly to where, you know, he almost threw his head back on cement a couple times. Uh, where I grabbed his arms and lowered him because he was going to throw his head back, I thought. I have some tools that I use from you guys. None of them works. I think it was more uh, energy. You know what I mean? He's cooped up, and then there's no way I'm doing what you asked me right now. I'm, I got to see Lawn. I think he just was like, I'm not doing what you do. I'm going to play right now. And uh, so we tried, even tried that to where differentiate. If you go on the lawn, you can play, but you're going to walk with me, and then you can play. No, it did not work. It was sort of a setback in my mind, like. I hadn't seen this behavior. I had no idea what to do. Oh, okay. Well, that's why we're here. <laughs> I know. So not to make it dire, but yesterday to me was sort of a rough day. It was surprising to me. 
I know I make I make a lot of mistakes when I'm with him when he does stuff like that, but I I, I know somewhere in here the tools are there. But yesterday I was like they just they just all went out the window because he was just not, nothing was working. He he was uh, he was the boss yesterday. I couldn't figure it out. You do the A word thing, and uh, sometimes I'm set back when he does something brilliant. He is who he is, and he'll be who he'll be. But uh, I want him to go on dates and not be necessarily the 180 IQ guy who's a focused on one thing. He does things that, that I just go, look at Cheryl, go, oh my God. <laughs> I don't think I can do that now. Welcome back to Autism Live. We are just enjoying a cavalcade of really wonderful guests, and we're not done yet by any stretch of the imagination. So joining us via Skype right now from Indianapolis is Kate Palmer. And Kate joins us from an organization called GRASP. So Kate, are you there? I am. So thrilled to have you. And we should say that you're in Indianapolis for the Autism Society of America conference. And we're going to talk a little bit about what you're going to be doing there in just a minute. But let's start out by letting our viewers know, because this is the first time we've had you on the show, and I'm thrilled to have yes. you here. Tell them what GRASP stands for. Sure. Um, GRASP stands for the Global and Regional Asperger Syndrome Partnership. So we go by GRASP because it's a little bit easier. Um, but that kind of sums it up. And and it's a it's a wonderful title because we're always trying to get a grasp on what we're talking about, right? <laughs> That's right. Um, That's right. So great. Now we know what the title stands for, but what's the mission of grasp? What are you trying to do? Well, the mission for us is um, to to improve the lives of teens and adults on the autism spectrum and their families by helping them with peer supports, community advocacy, and services and programming. And we, we don't charge any of our members. And you've got a really amazing website that's got a great deal of information. Tell us a little bit about what people can find there. Sure. Um, one thing is that we have always on the front page, we have new and upcoming um, with any publications that we've done, um, any events that we've had, uh, Twitter, Facebook, those types of things. Um, if we have an, an article that's of worth that we want to put up, we put up there as well. Um, also on the website, once people become members, they have access to all of our support groups that we have available across the country. Um, also, we have 10 online support groups that people are, have access to as well and can be approved for. Um, and we also have access to our information and referral services as well. So wonderful, wonderful resource. And for families that are out there watching and are looking for resources and way to, ways to connect with people, who is GRASP right for? Who should be joining you and using the resources that you have? Actually, anybody that is either on the spectrum, has a family member on the spectrum, um, a relative, friend, anyone that they know and they would like support or information, any of those people can contact us and we'll be happy to give them information about groups in their area, um, any information, diagnostics that they need, they might need a therapist in their area, we can get information for them. And I've, I've heard it said, and, and said this before, that um, it seems like for people who are in particular, you guys are very good at having things for 
teens and, and for adults, mm -hmm. um, that you're a, a particularly good resource for those kinds of things to be able to hook people up to the resources that will be helpful. Do you agree with that? Is that an area of focus for you guys? Definitely. We started out in 2003 as a, as a group for adults, specifically. And um, since then, we've been um, incorporating uh, programs and services for teens as well. And we have several in-person teen groups across the country, um, one of which um, I help facilitate in Kingston, New York. Um, and it's been really, we've been getting a lot of a really positive feedback about our teen groups. And one of the other things that we try to do as well with the teen groups is have parent groups as well, because the parents need, parents and grandparents, any care, caregivers for that person need a lot of support as well. And so where should people go, Kate, if they want to know more about GRASP and if they'd like to participate in some of these groups? Um, well, if they go to the website and sign up as a member, we'll approve them. And then if they qualify or they say they want to be part of any of our support groups that are in person, um, they can fill out a form for that that we give them. And we will have, um, then they can have access to those groups and, and where the location is and the information. We've been um, really wanting to keep a lot of those groups um, you know, uh, private to some degree. So as long as the people are, are qualified and they have the information, they are welcome to go to any of the groups that we have. And again, that's grasp, G-R-A-S-P dot org, correct? Yes. Okay. And and just one word on that. I love the fact that you, you know, you have to kind of qualify to come in, but what's the process that people have to go through so that they're aware? What, do they sure. ha what information do they need to give you to be able to be in the groups? Basically, um, we just really require that if people don't have um, a di if they have a diagnosis, great, um, of autism spectrum disorder. If they do not, and they're but they're willing to get one, we can help find a diag um, a diagnostic practitioner in their area that can help them get one, and that's fine too. Um, we just really want to make sure that people either have it or um, are willing to get the diagnosis because we really feel that it's important to have everyone that's a, that's a part of our groups, our adult groups specifically, um, be on the spectrum. There's just something to really be said for people that are in the groups and going through that support group process that when they talk about something, um, everyone else in the group really understands. And we like to, I think that's really part, a very core part of why our peer support groups work so well. I agree and I and I you know for people I think it creates a wonderful almost protected environment mm -hmm. in which and when I say protective I mean that you're not going to be marketed to that no yeah. one's there to take advantage um, so in the best sense of the word protective to create an environment in which people can share freely and have great understanding I think it's remarkable what you guys do thank you so much so again grasp.org and you can go there and get a, a, a wealth of information that's there we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to have Kate talk with us about a very a special award that she's going to be getting this week at the Autism Society of America's conference in Indianapolis. So stick with us. Hi, I'm Bryce Myler, and I'm the Contracts Director for the Center for Autism and Related Disorders. I've been here for about five years. CARD has several employees with many years of insurance experience, uh, dealing with insurance, dealing with pre-authorizations, dealing with discovering whether there's coverage or not. So we have more experience than any ABA provider that I've ever come across. So for, for a prospective client, somebody that may be interested in you know ABA therapy and what CARD has to offer, we have a special 800 number um, and you call that number. They will talk to you about what we have to offer. 
uh, how ABA works. He'll ask you for the front and back of your ID card, and then we check to see if you do or do not have coverage. If you have coverage for ABA therapy, we try to do whatever we can to set it up where we can bill for you and you don't have to fight with the insurance company every month to get your claims paid. For California residents, we recently did a series of insurance trainings all over the state and you can click on the link below to watch pretty much the full presentation. It has a lot of information how you can get your insurance company to, to comply with what they're supposed to do, uh, understanding the networks and many other um, valuable pieces of information. Welcome back to Autism Live. We are here with Kate Palmer. And Kate Palmer is joining us from GRASP. You can see on our website, it's www.grasp.org. And she is coming to us live from Indianapolis, where she is, she's there for the uh, ASA, Autism Society of America Conference. And Kate, there's a, a lot of really cool that's happening, uh, stuff that's happening there this week that we're trying to cover on the show. And we, a little birdie told us that you're getting a really impressive <laughs> award this week. Tell us what that is. Yeah, um, I'm getting the Advocate of the Year Award from the ASA, which is very exciting. Congratulations. Um, I, That's a huge you. deal. Yeah, it really is. I was very, I was kind of shocked to get that email in my inbox. Um, just because, you know, honestly, I really just, I do this work because I want to, and it's totally needed, and I'm really committed to it. So when somebody wants to um, acknowledge that, it's it's great. I really appreciate it so much. Well, I want to congratulate you because that is that is no small thing. That is, you know, a huge thing. That is a really <laughs> remarkable award, and you've clearly earned it, your work with GRASP. We should take a couple of seconds to tell people about your background and how you sure. came to this field. Sure. Um, actually, um, I have my undergraduate degrees in psychology, and um, I was doing my doing my other work, um, and I had already done my practicums that I was required to do. But one of the uh, one of my psychology student people uh, came over to me and said that there was a, an autistic child that lived two houses down from me and no one could figure out what to do and they asked if I could go and just just see so I did on the way home and somehow I just instinctively knew what to do and how to help him um, and so ever since then I have been working with individuals on the spectrum um, I was a special education teacher when I first moved to New York I'm from Oregon originally um, and so ever since then I've been doing either individual therapies and, and assistance for people on the spectrum um, from age three up to age 73 um, uh, or I've been doing um, the support groups I've been running the Kingston support group for seven years and um, then I've been part of grasp since 2011 and I got this position last year well, it's remarkable all the things that you've been doing. It's remarkable what GRASP continues to do. Uh, we hope that if people are there at the conference, you've got several people from GRASP you were mentioning during the break that are going to be speaking throughout the week. Do you want to tell yes. us anything in particular? Um, sure. Well, um, my, the GRASP's vice president, Lindsay Funstein, and myself are both talking to the affiliates to talk to them about 
um, the services we provide with our support groups and hopefully we'll be able to assist the different affiliates across the country um, with how to run support groups and how to run groups. So we have that going on tomorrow and of course there's so many different people that are speaking that I'm really excited to either see again or meet. Um, so that's happening and um, also on Friday I'm speaking on a panel with um, Tanya Ferguson for one who is um, on the ASA. She, she works for the ASA. Um, and then also um, Amy Gravino who is a board member. Um, she is speaking I think on Thursday afternoon. She's doing a sexuality discussion. We've actually had Amy on the show. She's a oh, lo great. lovely young woman. Yeah. Yeah, so she's she's doing that, and Dina Gassner is also on our board, and she and Stephen uh, Shore, who are, is on our board as well, they have two different um, speaking engagements on, I believe, Thursday and Friday. Such an exciting conference. Yeah. We just love uh, hearing about all the things that you're going to do. We want to encourage anybody, if they can get to the conference, uh, get there. We'll, of course, continue to cover some of the things that are going on. And, you know, I, maybe next week we, we need to have Scott Badish on to do sort of a wrap up to talk about what some of the highlights were at the conference. I'll have to read out, uh, reach out to him to ask him about that. But Kate, we thank you so much for all the work that you've done. We congratulate you on this well-deserved award. And we hope that you have a spectacular time this week. And thank you so much for being with us. I'm sure I will. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. And again, want to remind you, go to grasp.org to find out more about GRASP. And if you want to get more information about the Autism Society of America's conference this week, you can go to their website. And all you have to do, Google, because there are many different websites, Google ASA or Autism Society of America conference. It's in Indianapolis. If you can get there, I, oh, I'm deeply, deeply envious. And you should go. <laughs> If some of the things that the people here have talked about haven't convinced you, let me just tell you, we're only scratching the surface and we're going to have more of it throughout the week. But we're going to take a break right now. And then when we come back, and we're a little bit ahead of schedule, but since she's here already, we're going to bring Dina Booth in and she's going to talk to us about how to get our kids ready for middle school. This is a subject very near and dear to my heart right now because I got a, a young man who's getting ready to start sixth grade and you know, inquiring minds. There are things that we need to know right? Dina's going to help to hook us up with the information that's going to make this a really successful transition. So stick with us. When Maddie was diagnosed, I'll be honest, I was very ignorant on what autism was. I knew that autism was basically something that hit boys at the age of two to three and shut down. And sometimes you think of the typical Rain Man uh, movie. Um, and with Maddie, she was doing all the same signs and symptoms of a, of a typical child with autism spectrum disorder. Stand up. She didn't even acknowledge us coming into the room. Um, she had barely any eye contact. Um, she didn't interact with her sister. She didn't really do anything. She just basically lined up her toys and that was about it. We have a team of seven volunteers, or, or eight now, we have eight volunteers, including my husband and I, and I'm the team leader, and so I do all the curriculum and get everything ready each week. Jana was downstairs until 11 o'clock at night working on curriculum, going through two different textbooks. And then we, as a group, meet on Monday nights, 
and we would go through what the curriculum was from Jana. And a lot of times we would go, how exactly do you do that? How do you sit her at the table and, and do this trial base? Well, what skills has done for us, it's, it's taken that away from Jana trying to figure out the curriculum for one. She can go down, or on our, even on our laptop, and she can sit down and through all these questions, it comes up with the different programs. At least for me, it was a relief off my shoulders. I was worried that I might be missing something, um, missing a curriculum that maybe she needs to know, where skills, they have every, every possible thing your child needs to know from zero to seven. They have a program for that. What noise is this? Every program that we did with her, I knew it was specific for what she needed to learn. Because before skills, it was a lot of, okay, well, is that really age appropriate for a two-year-old? You know, because it's not generalized. It's anywhere from zero to seven. This is what your child needs to know in most, in most manuals you'll find. Um, but for this, okay, yep, she should be learning this. And no, she's not four yet. She doesn't need to know that yet. We are so fortunate that Jana was able to attend a conference put on by CARD that opened the door for skills and that um, there's no looking back for us. We started using the program in November and it seemed like by January something just clicked and she has completely kind of came out of her fog that she was in for quite a while. I have never read a documented case on any child that has not benefited anything from applied behavior analysis and uh, now with this new skills and being you know, like the E version of ABA, I can't imagine it doing anything harmful to their child. It, it's nothing but exponential growth for us. To see her now, it, is, it just blows us away when we call her our little miracle child because um, in seven months time, she has just blossomed into this normal functioning, child and suddenly we joke about it all the time like suddenly we have twins if you're even thinking about doing it do it because the absolute worst thing you can do is do nothing at all and even if you use this program and it's just a single mom or a single dad working in the evenings with their child this program is going to benefit them it's it's going to show you where they are it's going to show you where they need to go and it's going to show you what skills and how to get there it is an online book on how to help recover your child. Welcome back to Autism Live. We are here with our very special guest, Dina Booth. Now, I've said to you guys before on the show, when you want to know something that's happening on the, you want a, a topic covered on the show, write to us, and we will try to make that happen. And somebody wrote to us and said, hey, we want you to cover how to prep somebody for middle school, and we have a recommendation. Dina Booth is the amazing person to talk about this. And boy, did I find out that's the truth. So welcome to the show. And you, first of all, let's talk a little bit about what your background is because you have extensive experience in this field of yeah. middle school. Yeah, uh, yeah. I uh, I started teaching high school for kids with emotional disturbances mm -hmm. and then moved to middle school 
which I dear adore. Middle okay. school kids are just You know, that amazing. takes a special person. Well, <laughs> because I've taught some middle school too, and I love them to an extent, but they are a special population. Yes, they are. And, and I'm talking about on the spectrum, off the spectrum, that is a funky age range where it's hormone city. Yes, I, I talk about all middle school students are special ed. There's yeah. no there's no difference. They've all got really. stuff going on. Yeah, they have challenges because it's a it's a busy time in their little bodies. Yeah, all of that going in and then all the social pressures and oh all my goodness, of the it's changes. Rough. It's it can be very rough. Yeah. Very rough. So uh, but I found it just delightful. You love it. it. It's also amazing the growth you see yes. and the amazing blooming of yeah. this of this person that's coming out. And so I spent 12 years at Paul Revere Middle School with LAUSD mm -hmm. teaching a class for students with high functioning autism. So these were kids that that uh, needed to be in the general education program for their academics. That's where they belong. They okay. can manage those academics. They need that stimulation. That's where they belong. Okay. But they have deficits and needs that need to be looked after that are a little more yeah. than a resource teacher can, okay. can handle. So sometimes resource is not the best. And that's but, important for us to hear. Yeah. And first of all, we have to say, I mean, you know, I, I feel like I'm sitting here with a saint because <laughs> a lot of times we, you know, we hear the horror stories of things that happen in schools and teachers who aren't interested and don't want to know. And we always talk about the fact that there are angels that walk among us and clearly you're one of them. So oh, first of all, I want to thank you for thank your you. service, for, for loving our kids and wanting to educate them and seeing them as the individuals that they are. Mm -hmm. That's, you know, out the gate. Thank you for mm -hmm. that. And now you've come to us with a bunch of helpful information about what you learned over the years can be helpful. Yeah. And, and we were talking before we came on about how it's, you know, there's a, a toolbox sort of that you've given exactly. us and each tool is not going to be right for each individual right. because we know one size doesn't fit all. But Dina, this is good information. I mean, I'm getting chills because this, uh, as we're getting ready to start sixth grade with my son, yeah. I saw things on here and I went, okay, I haven't thought about that. Yeah. So let's start with talking about in general for middle school, you gave me this lovely list of things um, that we need to be mindful of. So help us to, to know some of these things. Well, the the first thing I think the most important, especially as parents, this is brand new territory. You're moving in to a place, you're going from this small environment where you've had a lot of input. Sometimes you've been spending time on the campus with with your child. Yeah. You've had you knew all the teachers. Oh yeah, we all were room moms. Yeah, room moms and the whole thing. And because you know what the the needs are you were there you were yeah. able to be there yeah. and now you're moving into a, an environment where you will not be as as welcome i'm not yeah. saying you're not welcome but you're and it is time it's yeah. time for you to start backing up a little bit yeah for everybody's sake them, yes for the teacher's sake for the other kids sake for our right. sake and for our child's sake and so that they can start taking more ownership yeah. of what's going on in their lives. It's, 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 important, it's important, but you need to drag us kicking and screaming. Exactly. And I'm one of those people. It is frightening. <laughs> and I'll tell you, uh, my, my son went to Paul Revere Middle School, the uh -huh. school I taught at, and I, and he had a minor disability, a, a minor learning disability. Okay. It wasn't big, but uh, I thought we would never make it through sixth mm. grade. It was, it's so hard. it's not just for our kids on the spectrum, but for 
all of our kids. Okay. All the kids. Okay. So, but what you need to realize is that the child is now coming into an environment. I mean, our kids were coming from schools, 300, 500 kids. There are 2,000 kids at yeah. Fall River Middle School. Yeah. So just in terms of the sensory input, <sighs> bells ringing, kids screaming, teachers yelling, giving instructions. People oh, bumping into each other in the hallway. Into, oh, the halls yeah. are like, I don't like going out yeah. there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, and then you've got all, you've got all this new social pressures in input. Uh, incredible because middle school is, oh, I, I, these are people and I have to interact with them and yeah. there's boys and there's girls and oh, oh, it's so much. Yeah, it is. So you've got that. Then you've got the academic pressure. Everything comes up a notch. Now we're dealing with more abstract uh, kinds of information coming in and more demands, especially writing demands, which can yeah. sometimes be a, 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 an issue for our kids. And you... And now the child is expected to meet all of this, all of these incredible um, increase of input. Well, and one of the things I'm noticing is that in all the earlier years, they got an assignment, and here's here's the assignment, and it's self-contained. And now everything has some element of a project yes. that you have to take this, put it together with this, morph it into that, and then slap this on it, and then remember to bring it. It's a lot of executive function skills to be able to carry that all through for anyone. For anyone. As a parent, sometimes I'm, I'm failing right, right um so it's a lot it's a lot and that's and that's of course the organizational issues are epic yes we know that is for the most right word isn't it yeah. yeah well and for some of us as well and i think yes. I, I you know i struggle in that area yeah. so and i think it's important for us to acknowledge as parents that we have deficits in some of these areas too i i will sit at the table and cry sometimes and go i <laughs> i was quoted so many times this last year saying i didn't like fifth grade math math the first time why am i having to do it again yeah. um yeah. so tough tough times yeah but you've got some things here for us to consider once we get our heads wrapped around all of that. So I think we should take a short break. Um, we're going to come back and talk with Dina specifically about some things that we really want to be mindful of if we can make happen. Okay. Stick with us. What do you think about ABA treatment? ABA is the one that's documented, but I think that's what I think is important with little kids, the intensity. If this kid's two, three, and four years old, he needs 20 or 30 hours a week of intensive early intervention, working one-to-one -one with an effective teacher. Mm -hmm. And an effective teacher knows kind of how just hard to push, because you've got to stretch these kids. Mm -hmm. You don't stretch them somewhere, they don't advance. Mm -hmm. You push them on them too hard, they go into sensory shutdown. The worst thing you could do with an autistic two-year-old is to do nothing with them and just let them sit there rocking. And when I was very young at two and a half, ABA-type things were used on me, but it wasn't called ABA in that day. You know, my teacher would hold up a cup, and she'd speak slowly. You've got to speak slowly to these kids, because there's auditory processing problems. So you say, cup, and then I'd say, cup, and, and the teacher would praise me. You know, that's very similar to ABA. You know, ABA in its, um, you know, original form is a little kid's program. The whole idea is you're trying to get language jump-started. And I like the more flexible kinds of ABA. You've got different levels of kids. Mm -hmm. um, once, I mean, I had ABA type stuff when I was young, but mm -hmm. then after I pulled out of it, I didn't have to go through elaborate things of getting ready for school. I still have this habit now today. I lay my clothes out the night before that I'm going to wear, mm -hmm. so when I'm sleepy, I can just get them on. 
And then you have other individuals where they've got to do very structured, you know, uh, you know, breaking down the task analysis. This is where after you get out of the little kids and you get them talking, they kind of diverge into yeah. different levels of functioning. And a type of ABA program that'd be suitable for a very severe kid would not be something you'd want to do with a mild Asperger kid because you're going to bore them to death and make them hate school. Absolutely. Welcome back to Autism Live. I'm so thrilled because we've had a really great day full of guests and we're ending with Dina Booth and she's here with us. She is a former middle school teacher, extensive experience working with individuals who are on the autism spectrum. And she has put all of her experience together and given us some amazing guidelines. I have said to her during the break, she needs to put all of this together into a book uh, because we would buy this book. I would buy this book uh, because this is an area where we could all use help from an expert and that's exactly what she is. Somebody who can tell us about what it's like for our kids in the middle school experience. Um, but in the meantime, as Dina works on this book, you can work with her. She's got a website uh, and Emily's going to put that up on the screen so you can contact Dina to be talking with her to consult with her about things that you can be doing to make the middle school experience a better experience but she's agreed to talk with us about some things that we could consider putting into the IEP um, asking for accommodations that can help smooth this transition and you pointed out to me uh, during the break that it doesn't mean we have to use it if it's in the IEP but it can be there as a safety net so Dina go down uh, the list to give us some of these different things that we can ask for in the IEP meeting? I, I think first off one of the most important because what you are establishing is a, is a, is a, um, a safety net. That's yes. a good way of saying. So uh, I found and what I created at, at Paul Revere is a safe haven. Mm -hmm. So a place that, that, that the student knows that they can go, that there's going to be somewhere there, someone there that's not going to yell at them or mm -hmm. give them detention or anything like that, but is going to be there to help them. So are you saying that, let's say that they're in a classroom, but they're starting to have a difficulty that we have created someplace, some teacher, some room, exactly. some place that they can request and say, I need a few minutes with so-and-so, and we can write it into their IEP that if right. that happens, it's not something to be abused, but something that we can go back to zero yeah. and decompress before things escalate into nonsense that we see reported on the news all the time. Exactly. Okay. And that, and that I feel was the most important thing that I established really important. for my students. And, and now I had a classroom. I had G3 and that, and they knew they could come and the teachers knew that if they were having a difficult time, they could come down there. And I used to give them a pass that said pass to G3, and all they had to do was to show that pass, and the teacher knew that they needed to come down. Okay. And, I, and I tell you, because my concern, of course, is that it will be abused, that right. there will just be a, a task avoidance. Right. Very rarely did I have to deal with that. If it started to happen, then we would look at it, and we'd see what else, and how do we need to... to to um, tweak it, right? But it seemed that having knowing it was there was enough. Yeah, I think they that's true for succeed. all of us. We want to know that yes. we have a, the ability to take a break, and and I just want to point out that let's say worst case scenario, you have somebody who is doing the task avoidance. That's a much easier problem to solve than somebody who has had a meltdown and now everybody in the classroom holds it against them yes. and teachers hold it against them. Yes, this is a much Absolutely. easier problem to deal with than the other. Absolutely. So, 
I love this idea. Okay, what else? So we need things like preferential seating. That's that's a pretty um, standard one. Uh, extended time is the other one. You want to put that in there. They and some schools will want a t you know a, t a limit. Um, Paul Revere was very nice because most of the teachers would get, just get the assignment, to me, yeah. which is really wonderful for our guys because. Yeah, we know the organizational issues that some come up. They did it and went into the backpack, the black hole. It's gone. Right, you know. right. So having a little bit more time, so having that kind of gives the parents a cushion too. Yes, yeah. Um, so when it's eleven o'clock on Tuesday night and it's a school night, and you say, you know, it, I know it's due tomorrow, but it's more important that you get some rest so that we're mentally focused tomorrow, right. and then we can right. get this in another day. And that can be a really big problem in in sixth grade because, at least at Paul Revere, uh, the sixth grade teachers gave them so much homework yeah. I was like whoa what is all yeah <laughs> when my son was there and uh, and so speak to the teachers okay. they do they would always understand and say just let me know write a little note something okay. like that okay so so be sure and broach that don't don't just be up till midnight trying to finish something. Right. That doesn't that benefit doesn't anybody. It's help. not really what the assignment is. And no, and the teachers don't want that either. Yeah, exactly. So, okay. Yeah. So then you can have things like frequent tracking for understanding and being on task, uh, because sometimes they can get distracted mm -hmm. and there's that kind of thing. Uh, and you can have that written into the IEP, into you guys. IEP. Do you understand that yes. that's what we, all these things can be written into the IEP so that you, you have a much better chance of them being implemented, and yes. if they're not being implemented, you have grounds to say we need to go back and look at this. This is very important. Yeah. This is why I put some things in that they may not use because if the if it comes up that suddenly the child is having right. some kind of difficulty and needs that extra time, it's in there. Yeah. And then if a teacher's, you just take the IEP and you say no, it's in the IEP. Right. And, and that's the end of the discussion. You don't have to have a meeting the... with 35 more no. professionals. Better no. use of time to have these things in. You can put yeah. this on your request list. This whole list. Okay. So, and uh, the help with organizing is really in, important. Uh, study skills support, especially long, for long-term projects. So you can put that into the IEP. And also in that uh, safe haven, you know, the space right. that you've got or the person, um, that they could come there and do assignments. Sometimes kids, they're doing group work yeah. and it can get very noisy. Yeah. And that's appropriate. It should be noisy, but sometimes our kids need a quieter place. Yeah. So that's also why you might want to put in that, um, that they can do group projects alone. Okay. We want to move them towards working in group projects, but we don't want it to become such um, an issue that that they're losing credit. Yeah. I always go back to what are we trying to teach in this moment? And sometimes I, I'm a former classroom teacher as well. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, you're trying to hit 12 pistons, but all kids can't do that. Right. And so is this a lesson where we're working on social skills? Because if we are, then we're not going to avoid the group tasks. But if it's a thing where we're really trying to learn about California missions, but we're hoping to do it as a group, group task, yeah. it's really important that they learn about the California missions. And so that might, for this child, right might need to take some breaks from it. Excellent. What are we really trying to work on? And having, you know, that take the precedent over. So having that escape valve right. of having someplace else to go, so valuable. I love that. You've also listed on here uh, note-taking assistance as uh, needed. And Let's that, talk and about that. That can be difficult because obviously sometimes there's, there's 
small motor is issues yes. or the teacher puts it up but takes it down before yep. they can get it. And so very often, um, if I have an, an, an additional adult, I'll have them do backup yep. notes, but other kit but you could also ask to make copies. And some teachers, they got it and they yeah. make the the make it available to all the kids because yeah. middle school is middle school. And like, so um, so that that so you want to watch out for that and make sure we, we want our kids to to work on it. So maybe they're just writing one word. Yes. And then you're getting the rest that they can have to study. Love it. And I don't know if you, at Paul Revere, if you had smart boards, but I'm seeing that smart boards can be very effective because mm. teacher can write things down and then can hit print. <gasps> Oh, I love it. So it's a great thing for <laughs> the teacher. Um, and, and I, you know, have found that I start asking for smart words because it makes it easier for the teacher. Yeah. And the child takes their notes, but the, the teacher can hit print. The notes come home to mom, and I can look at his notes and talk about what he missed. And what It's a great educational opportunity. Yeah. So depending what kind of support your, your school has, we had we had uh, assignments online. Okay, great. So that then, and the kids love this oh, because yeah. they would go to their to to their teacher's page, and there would be all the assignments. Mm -hmm. They could check to see if they and and my kids used it. They come oh, in yeah. at, during homeroom. They come in, check the website, make sure they had the assignments that they were finished and everything. Wonderful. So that's. But you may need support, like um, uh, if they have an agenda that the teacher signs the agenda, that you sign the agenda, those kinds of things mm -hmm. to make. Make sure that 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 they're getting the assignments because that can be a problem. Yeah, I love that you have your daily assignment sheet to be signed by teachers and parent, yeah. teachers and or parent. Yeah. Uh, you also have your d daily behavior report to be signed by teachers or parent. Yeah. Yeah, and and that and I usually try to do that. You at at Paul Revere at any rate, they had a sheet that they sent with any child that was having mm -hmm. any kind of difficulty have a special right. smiley face one or anything right. he has the same one so as much as I could I would use that okay and that usually actually was enough yeah <clears throat> if I needed to if you if the parent has some kind of system that's implemented that's very nice to have a, a tie-in between yeah. the home and and the school yeah and and teachers some te you know you have a lot of teachers with a lot of different skills here and some will be easier to work with and some will be more difficult to work with and at least and so sometimes a, te a parent has to do some education for the yeah. for the teachers if there isn't now at my school I was there yeah. and I spent a lot of time educating the teachers I'm sure and the parents important. as well well both sides I felt there were three things I was doing. I was supporting the student, I was supporting the teachers, and I was supporting the parent. I'm telling you, and she's a saint. Three. <laughs> well, it's, it's what I learned over the years. And well, and it also, uh, you know, it sounds like it's what your passion was, and the world needs more people like you that that's what their oh, passion is. But we just can't clone them, <laughs> unfortunately. Uh, I want to talk about here, I love this one, parent may act as a scribe at home oh. for student work. That's a huge one. And it's a huge one, and be sure you put it in the IEP. Yeah. Because they will think that you're doing the work, and they, you know, and they'll get all this stuff, and and you need to be careful 
to right. make sure that you're giving that child the space. So uh, when I would do it for my son, because he did have some writing yeah. issues, I, I would write exactly what he would said, and mm -hmm. I wouldn't correct it. Mm -hmm. That's I, hard. I it's hard to it's do. It's hard for me. <laughs> no, I know. Um, but we have, uh, what helps me, I'll be honest, is that we have him type it on the computer. Yes. And that's... Um, so that he's learning the typing skills, and I give him as much time as he needs. He types it on the computer, and then we go back and we talk about sure. what proofreading and all of that. Sure. Um, so that helps me to keep my hands, my paws off of it because I want and, to correct the grammatical errors. And that's excellent. And you can put that in the IEP too, that they can do all of their written work on a computer. Absolutely. They they should, depending on the school you're at, have access to a computer. And you put and you that, have that in that the, on the list. Yes. Yeah, you have that on the list, yes. which is really important. And keep in mind, you guys, that when it's written into the IEP, it's law. Oh. Um, they've got to adhere to it. And we were having this conversation yesterday about it doesn't become a question of can we afford it. That no. isn't allowed no. because of FAPE. So they, this is why you take a tape recorder into an IEP because if they say, well, we can't afford to get you a computer, you just won your case. Um, they're not allowed to say that they can't afford it. So um, you have to think about what really is going to work for the child. And you can go into your IEP with a list like this and say we need all of these things written in. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, and then it becomes a negotiation and they may right. say we can do this one, we can't do this one, you can stick your heels in, whatever you want, but usually they just write the things you want into the IEP. They, That's my they, experience. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, of course it really... Unless you ask for a pony. In this well, case, no. that's not going to happen. <laughs> or a Cadillac. Don't ask for a Cadillac. Don't ask for ponies and Cadillacs, right? But, you know, if you ask for reasonable things, my yeah. point, yeah. yeah. Uh, really remarkable. And we're, we're almost out of time here. Oh. So I, I want to uh, just, first of all, hit a couple of more of these yes. points. I love this one. Extra set of books at home. That that can be challenging because I mean, my last two years, Paul Revere actually did not have that enough mm. books. So that was a problem. But you got this whole issue. Now they've got a locker, which some of them do not want to use yeah. because it's a little... Yeah. something else to remember and have them deal with yeah. and uh, I used to keep the kids books in my room if they needed okay. that um, that may not always be available but having an extra set is a wonderful way so that you don't have I left my book at home and now I don't yeah. have it here when I need it here and well and and let's also talk about the very logistical, real thing about carrying the books in the oh. book pack. So many of our kids are oh. getting back problems and scoliosis, and that's not just kids on the autism spectrum. That's all kids, okay. right, because they're having to carry so many books. I'd love to make it possible for every student to have a book set at home, but first we have to deal with our kids, yeah. right? Yeah. And yeah. for our kids, having that backpack and carry it, they're going to be less likely to want to do it. If it's not rewarding, they're not going to want to do it, so they are going to come home without the book and go, oops, I forgot it and we will have rewarded yeah. behavior that does not seem to work. So ask for the set, for uh, and if they say that they don't have it, ask if you can access it online. We found this year that there were some that we could access online. Yes, math books I know were. Um, and sometimes there's a, there, you can find the book, but then you need the code to be able to access it, and the school can give that to you. So right. don't be afraid to ask. That can be something that's Absolutely. really, really helpful. Absolutely. Looking at these other things that you've got here on, on the list, uh, I, I love at the end here, most students with high-functioning autism are expected to meet the academic standards and no modifications of the curriculum are required. Accelerated independent study in areas of special interest is common and integrated and related topics into other assignments can add high motivation in the study of other less favored subjects. Mm -hmm. Asking for if our kids are interested in something for them to be able to fly on those things. We don't uh, have electives as much as we used to right, because of the economy. Right. But that 
that doesn't mean that we can't ask. More and more schools are going to project-based programs right. um, and giving kids credit for things that they want to do and encouraging it. Yeah, uh, because... They're all they're realizing that the more interested the kids are, the better they do, which it seems it like a no brainer, easier. but yeah, it does. It does. And yeah. for our kids, it can be crucial. It can be absolutely crucial. Dina, I just think that this information is so important. I said you need to write a book. Your knowledge, your wealth of knowledge is impressive. And and this period of time for our kids is crucial. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, we, we've talked about this endlessly before on the show, that this is a period of time in which all the kids are going through funky changes. And, and this is a time when our kids are most likely to be bullied, if we understand the statistics correctly. Yeah. Um, um, and yet we're trying to get them educated at this time. Right. So setting up, I, I think these things help to bully-proof them. Just going back to the preferential uh, seating, mm -hmm. uh, you know, different kids need different seating. Right. Um, but where the child sits can make a big difference in what their sensory input right. will be and how much they're able to pay attention to the teacher. So, so many great things here. I look forward to your book. Uh, which yep. we've now decided is happening. <laughs> yes. And, uh, and thank you so much for being here. I want to take just a second at the end of the show uh, to remind everybody we've got a big week here, tons mm -hmm. more guests throughout the week. Tomorrow, um, for Ask Dr. Doreen, we're showing, you guys have asked for it so many times, we're showing that anxiety show, the second half of it, where she really delves mm -hmm. into things that we can be doing to work on anxiety and um, different perceptors uh, obsessive compulsive things that our kids are going through how we can be productive in changing that conversation and then in the second hour tomorrow we've got two amazing guests Jenny Palometto uh, excuse me is going to be here talking about love and autism and then we have Dr. Jim Ball who's going to be joining us from the Autism Society of America conference so a really impressive day for you and then on Thursday we've got more fabulous guests uh, Dr. Del Nadowski will be here Dr. Jonathan Box and Jason Cherry, ra uh, race car driver Jason Cherry is going to be talking about what he's doing that is enabling and helping autism organizations such as the Autism Society of America. So it's a big, big week. We want to encourage you to be writing in your questions. I know you. We, there were some that we didn't get to from the weekend, um, but most especially we will have some time on Thursday with Dr. Nadowski and Dr. Tar Tarbox to be answering your questions directly. For any of the guests, that you saw here on the show today. If you have questions about what they talked about, you can write in or check out the websites. We'll be including them uh, in the notes uh, on the podcast. So uh, I again, I want to thank Dina Booth. I want to thank all of our guests that were with us today. Kevin Custer, uh, Lars uh, Perner, I'm almost out of time, but uh, Katie Palmer and uh, Taritas for being with us talking about the travel connection. So it's been a big day. Uh, I thank you so much. Don't miss the anxiety show tomorrow. It's full of great information. Until then, please give your kiddos a hug from me. Bye-bye for now.